All right, now we're going to start out with some tombstone humor, okay? So there's actually people who, uh, on their way out of this planet, uh, want to leave the world with a smile. So the first one is actually a famous one. Uh, it was a famous talk show host named Merv Griffin. A lot of you might remember him. And his tombstone actually says this. It says, I will not be right back after this message. <clears throat> the famous comedian Rodney Dangerfield, his, his tombstone says this, there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> Then there's one that's just by strange coincidence, someone happened to take a picture. And you'll see in the foreground, it says burger. But right in the background, there's another tombstone that says fries. <clears throat> and then my favorite one is someone who died who had an unfortunate last name. And it's, oh, no, <laughs> which makes me wonder if his first name was Mr. Bill. And uh, some of y'all might catch that one. Um, today's message is called Written in Stone. We've been working our way through uh, the book of Matthew, and today we're in chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. We'll be talking about how Christ came to fulfill the promises of God that had been made a long, long time before he came. So our three points today are going to be he says, who says, and say what? So, uh, again, uh, our, our message is called Written in Stone. Uh, you can be turning to Matthew 5 if you have a Bible, and if not, you can just follow along. We'll have the, uh, the, the text up here on, on screen. But our three points are He says, Who says, and Say What. So let's pray together, and then let's see what God has for us. <sighs> Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you, God. Uh, we're just here for your glory. Um, Lord, I thank you. You love us so much. You, you paid an awesome price uh, on our behalf. And God, um, you're the one who, who deserves our praise. Lord, a long time ago, um, the Lord Jesus walked uh, the face of the earth. And he said some important things. And uh, through the Apostle Matthew, you had him write these things down. And your Holy Spirit inspired him uh, to write these words. And Lord, they were important back then. And they're important today. And Lord, I ask you that your words would go forth uh, this morning and would have an impact on every heart uh, that's listening. And we thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we begin with our first point, which is he says. So the words that God spoke long before Christ came are commonly called the Old Testament or the law and the prophets. And so our story today begins when Jesus refers to those ancient writings. And again, we begin in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So let's talk about just this one saying right here. Uh, his audience uh, that was listening to him uh, in the moment, um, they had respect for the Old Testament and they also had respect for the Pharisees. So his audience was part right and part wrong. They were correct in having respect for the Old Testament, for the written word of God. But they were incorrect to respect their religious leaders of the day, those Pharisees. So by law and the prophets, again, uh, we're talking about the Old Testament. They're, they're basically synonymous and uh, it's actually a combination of God's laws. And then the prophet part is the further instruction that came through God's prophets. So let's talk about some reasons why Christ came. Uh, number one, Christ came to obey the law. 
I don't know if you ever thought about that, but one of the reasons Christ came was to obey the law. And so we look in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the many things he did while he was here on earth, he perfectly fulfilled the law. That means he always perfectly honored his parents. Uh, he always sanctified the Sabbath. Uh, he prayed. He gave alms. He never broke the law of God. Now, can you imagine? I mean, seriously, try to imagine that you're going to try to keep all of God's laws just for one day, just for one 24-hour period. And if you seriously think you could do that, we need to talk, okay? But can you imagine just trying to keep all of God's laws for one day? And the Lord Jesus kept them all his life. Another reason Christ came was to fulfill the promises of God through the prophets. And uh, we see that through his life as he fulfilled the many prophecies. A third reason he came was to shed further light on what God had already said through the law and the prophets. And an example is whenever he would further clarify things, like he would tell them, you have heard it said, and he would quote the Old Testament. And then he would say, but I say this. And he had the authority to give further instruction because he wasn't just a man. He was, in fact, Almighty God. Now, we go on to the next verse, Matthew 5, verse 18. And he says this, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. What a picture of steadfastness. He's saying not one iota, not one dot, not one jot or tittle, not one mark of the Old Testament is going to change until heaven and earth have passed away. That means everything that we see around us, right, will be gone before God's word is ever changed. I want to read where the Bible actually describes when the earth and the heaven that we know is going to pass away. So that's found in Revelation chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. And it says this, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. I want you to think about that. I don't know if it's scary to you, okay? But God tells you how everything's going to go down at the end of this planet, okay? He says, uh, like, like it says here in verse 12, the sun is going to become black. The moon is going to become like blood. The stars of the sky are going to fall to the earth. And the sky is going to be rolled up like a scroll. And understand, that's going to happen before the word of God would ever be changed. That's how steadfast the word of God is. The things that we see with our eyes, where we most easily and readily place our confidence, the planet and the universe have an expiration date. But God's word will not change. You can count on it. 
Because once he has spoken, he always keeps his word. Now, when I think about someone keeping his word, I'm reminded of a guy named Shizo Kanakuri. And uh, you may or may not remember him, so uh, let me read you about him. He actually holds the world record for the slowest time in the Olympic marathon. Okay, uh, He set out to win the race during the 1912 Olympics in Stockholm, Sweden. So I'm just going to read you the story. The day of the marathon was a scorcher. 27 kilometers into the race, uh, Kanakuri collapsed from overheat and was taken care of by some local farmers. Uh, he was not alone. Runners were dropping like flies that day. And fellow runner Francisco Lazar even died during the race. 68 runners from around the world entered the race, but only half crossed the finish line. Now, unlike the other runners who dropped out, Kanakuri never reported his failure to finish the race to the officials. He was listed as missing. So back in his own country, he was known as the father of Japanese marathons. But in Sweden, he was known as the missing marathon runner. Fifty years went by, and the Swedish authorities discovered he was alive and well. Uh, he was in Japan. Uh, and so in 1967, they invited him to come back and finish his race at the age of 75 years old. And he finally finished and crossed that finish line. Swedish Olympic Committee representatives read out his official finish time. <laughs> 54 years, 8 months, 6 days, 5 hours, 32 minutes, and 20.3 seconds. Kanakuri was asked if he'd like to say a few words about breaking a world record for the slowest marathon ever. And after he thought for a moment, he said this. It was a long trip. (laughs) Along the way, I got married, had 6 children, and 10 grandchildren. (laughs) And that's what I call... Keeping your word. God always, always keeps his word. And his word is unchanging. Which brings us to the next point, our second point today. Who says? So, if what God has spoken is true, then we better not change it. And we better pay attention. No matter what anyone else says, whoever they may be. So we continue in Matthew chapter 5 verse 19. It says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does teach them, I'm sorry, whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. There's a warning here. There's a danger in neglecting God's word. Jesus was making an indirect indictment on the religious leaders, on those Pharisees that we talked about earlier, because that's exactly what they were guilty of. They would omit part of God's word. Uh, They would pick and choose, and they would change it. Now, it's one thing uh, to disobey God's word, but it's another thing to change it. That's like putting yourself in authority over God which is exactly what those religious leaders were doing. And so, uh, let me make a point of clarification here about about God's word and about obeying the laws. Salvation 
is free. Why is it free? Because the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price for you and me. That's why he came, right? The thing that separates us from God is our sin. And that's why the Lord Jesus went to the cross. When he hung on that cross, he paid for absolutely every sin you've ever committed and every sin you're ever going to commit. And when we place our faith in him, I mean, that's why he's called the Savior. When we place our faith in him, he saves us from our sin. Now, where does obedience fall in? Where obedience is how we show our gratitude towards God. We're not trying to earn his favor, right? Christ earned that for us by paying that price. And he's completely washed away our sin when we place our faith in him. But our obedience is how we thank God. It's how we honor him. It's how observers see the lives of believers. And they say, those people really believe what they say they believe. The world is not looking for perfection. It's just looking for consistency. So let me give you some examples of how people disregard God's word today in our society. How often is God's name thrown around? And I mean thrown around like a four-letter word. You hear it all the time. You'll hear people, right? Instead of praising the name of God, you'll hear them yell out the name of Jesus Christ. Or you'll hear them use God's word, right? To, in a profane way. Uh, and even a common way is when people say, oh my God, oh my God. And it brings the awesome name of our almighty God down to just a common level of a profanity. This is what God says about his name in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And by the way, if you ever want to read the Ten Commandments, they're in Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible, chapter 20. But I'm just going to read a couple of them. So, so the first one I want to, I want to look at is what God says about his name. And he says this, again, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And society says the opposite. And in fact, acts the complete opposite with the name of God. What about the things we say about people? Society, right, is pretty careless with, with the things that are said about our neighbors. And in fact, let's be honest, y'all. Believers, right? We're careless too with the things we say about people outside the church. And in fact, let's be honest, our brothers and sisters sometimes. And it's sinful, y'all. Here's what God says. Again, out of his Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. These are just two examples, y'all, that are connected. Uh, they have to do with loving God and loving our neighbor, right? The top two commandments when Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments. So in general, our society has drifted from a reverence for God, from a respect for his word, and from regard for the consequences. Now, we have rules in our house. So uh, when Caden was... Uh, uh, seven years old, um, he, uh, you know, uh, we would wrestle around just, and, um, every once in a while, like while we were wrestling around, he would lick me on the hand. And I told him, Caden, you can't do that. That's nasty. Okay. And of course, he did it again. 
So I told him, next time you do that, there will be a consequence. And there we were wrestling around, and he licked my hand again. Now, he calls me Pops, right? And so I told Kate, all right, you get up, and you have to stand in the corner, put your nose in the corner, and you have to say 100 times, I will not lick Pops. I said, and you're going to count them off. I will not lick Pops, one. I will not lick Pops, two. And so he sat there, you know, in the corner with his nose in the corner. I will not lick Pops, one. I will not lick Pops, two. And then meanwhile, I look at Connie, who's sitting in the same room, and she's making this face at me, you know, you know, a little sad face, right? Now, I had to go outside for something, so I went out for a little bit. When I come back, I see him over in the corner, and he's going like this. I will not lick Pops 32. I will not lick Pops 33. I just shake my head. It's like, Caden, you can quit now. <laughs> You're having too much fun, you know? I look at Connie. She goes, he's so cute. <laughs> drive me nuts. No respect for the consequences, right? And that's really where our society has gotten. You know, uh, God's word, hopefully everyone in here has a love and respect for God's word, but society has drifted further and further away. Which brings us to our third point. Say what? Jesus makes a statement at this point that completely surprises his believers. I'm, I'm sorry, his listeners. And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, to picture how that struck his, his audience, you have to remember uh, the general perception of that day. I mean, remember what I said earlier. They respected God's word. But they also respected those Pharisees, right? That was their religious leaders. And so when they would look at those Pharisees, they thought, well, that's, that's what, you know, faith in God is supposed to look like, even though the Pharisees, as we know, were very hypocritical. And so the general assumption was that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those religious leaders, the general assumption was that they were godly men. They were certainly knowledgeable and their public image was holiness. But Jesus shattered that image because he knew their hearts. Now, let's consider some of the specific indictments that Christ makes uh, about these Pharisees and Sadducees. In fact, he did it publicly. So regarding hypocrisy, this happens in Matthew 23, verse 4. It says, this is what he said about them. He says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. He publicly called these religious leaders hypocrites. Imagine how they felt, but imagine how Jesus' listeners, how this news would have struck them. Regarding self-righteousness, Jesus said this in Matthew 23, verse 11. He says, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. And he gives an example of how a Pharisee is on the inside. And he says this about the Pharisee's prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This is where Jesus coined the phrase self-righteousness. If you've heard that phrase, self-righteous, it has to do with someone who believes 
they can make themselves righteous before God. It's someone who trusts in his own good works and he lists his or her right good works uh, to stand right before Almighty God. Trusting in his own goodness. He's thinking, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. Now, uh, over the years, I've heard several people who will tell me, man, I'm just living by the Ten Commandments. Okay? And I'll ask them, oh, really? And just think of some of these things. When someone, and if you're in this boat, I want you to think about this. If you believe you are keeping the Ten Commandments, if you believe you've kept them flawlessly, I want you to think about this. Do you, are you saying that you never love anyone or anything more than you love God ever, ever in your life? Now, we already mentioned using God's name in vain. Are you saying you've never, ever done that? Do you always set aside one day a week as a day of rest, as a full day to honor God? Right? Because the commandment isn't just put in your one hour at Trinity. Okay? The commandment is a full day. Okay? Have you kept that? Do you never lie? Including just now? Never? Do you never lie? Do you never want something that your friend owns or a quality he or she has? Do you never want that? That's what coveting is. Do you know what Jesus' brother James wrote about the commandments? In James chapter 2, verse 10, he said this, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. That raises a question, y'all. How then, how then can I make sure that my righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees? Because that's what Jesus' listeners were thinking, okay? The only way I gain entrance into heaven is if somehow my righteousness exceeds that of those guys. And on the outside, and that's the key, by the way, on the outside, those guys looked right. So the question is this, number one, have you received God's righteousness? You see, the scribes and Pharisees, they tried to make themselves right, self-righteous. God says the only way that you and I can become righteous is if he makes you righteous, if he actually gives you the righteousness of Christ. Now, we're going to read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I know we're bouncing around a lot, so maybe you can jot these down. Or, or, or Actually, the, uh, the notes are in your bulletin uh, provided by Trinity Church. And that's Amy, by the way, that types those up. Okay, anyway, a little plug for Amy. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's go back on that, y'all, because there's a lot of pronouns there. For our sake, he, meaning the Father, made him, that's Christ. So the Father made Christ to be sin who knew no sin. So Christ never sinned. We talked about that. The Father made Christ become sin on our behalf, so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God or the righteousness of Christ. All right, let me explain it this way. I want you to picture heaven. We all picture it a bit differently, I'm sure. 
But one thing we all have in common is this. When you picture heaven, you picture it pure. I'm sure you do. You picture it completely pure. Now, answer this question in your mind. How many sins would have to enter heaven before heaven was defiled? I heard the voice of Pete Basarica. Okay, all right, all right. It would only take one sin, y'all. You have a perfectly holy God and a perfectly holy place. It would only take one sin to enter heaven, to defile heaven. Which is why God cannot allow any sin into heaven. Right? That should be a scary thought to you. Well, my goodness, I've sinned. I don't have a chance unless God works a miracle. And that's what 2 Corinthians is talking about. The Father made Christ, who was sinless, to become sin on our behalf. So Christ took on every one of your sins, y'all. That's why it has to include the sins you haven't committed yet. He took on 100% of your sins and mine on his body. Which is why when you placed your faith in the Savior. And again, that's why he's called the Savior. That's why it's called good news. When you place your faith in the Savior, he completely washes away your sin. He seals your name in the book of life. He gives you the Holy Spirit as a deposit. He adopts you into his family. He makes you part of the body of Christ. There's a bunch of things he does. But here in 2 Corinthians, it says this. He places the very righteousness of Christ upon you. Now think about it, y'all. How righteous was Christ? He was completely righteous. How righteous are you without Christ, right? You and me, we're sinners. But when we place our faith in Christ, he washes us completely white as snow. Which is why if you've trusted Christ, you don't have to fear God's judgment. And you can know, I mean, in your heart of hearts, you can know that your righteousness is way higher than the Pharisees and Sadducees. Way higher than that. Because it equals. It equals the righteousness of Christ. Not because you earned it. But because he places it to your credit. When you place your faith in Christ. That is good news. Now. Next question is this. Do you live in this truth? Or are you constantly doubting? Okay, let that roll around in your mind for a second. Do you live in that truth or do you constantly doubt? Let me help you doubt. Ephesians chapter one. And we're just going to read uh, verse three. It says this. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, which is past tense. And it's talking to believers. Okay, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And look, sometime later, go home, find the book of Ephesians in your Bible, and read those first couple of chapters. Well, you might as well read 
the whole book of Ephesians. Well, go ahead and read the whole Bible, okay? But specifically, though, Ephesians, those first couple of chapters, it talks about our identity in Christ. I got some more good news for you today, y'all. When you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, he completely changes your identity. 100%. You are a different person than you were the moment before you accept Christ. And the more you understand your identity in Christ, the more you'll be able to live in his promises. And those doubts will creep up less often. And when those doubts creep up, you'll be able to dismiss them in faith by just claiming the promises God has made in that first you know, couple of chapters of Ephesians. But he says here, past tense to the believer, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. It's like you're already there in heaven. Okay, your position, it's like you're already there. Now, experientially, we still sin, right? We've already been talking about that today. But your position, your position is sealed. And it's been done so by Christ. Now, let's talk about wealthy people for a second, okay? You you ever know the difference between uh, wealthy people and those who try to act wealthy? Let me give you just a, a silly illustration, okay? Let's say there's five men at a barbecue and four of them are wealthy. And one of them is not, okay? Well, how do you know the difference? It's a silly example. But four of them are dressed casually for a barbecue. One of them is dressed in a coat and tie. Four of them just try to have casual conversation about sports or whatever topic. One of them keeps talking about how much he owns and how much he's going to own. Four of them just eat and drink and are enjoying themselves. But one of them... Uh, is lighting cigars by setting a hundred dollar bills on fire. Okay. You see the difference? Four of those people have nothing to prove. The more you understand your identity in Christ, the more you realize what God did the moment you trusted Christ and you realize my sins are forgiven. I mean, that whole list I made earlier. And right now we're just camping out on this one idea that he gives you the righteousness of Christ. Just hang out on that thought. If you have accepted Christ, you are as righteous in God's eyes as Christ. Not because you earned it, but because that's one of the things, one of the things that he gives you at the moment of salvation. When you know that God has declared you as righteous as Christ, you don't panic when you sin, okay? Hopefully you regret your sin, but you don't panic anymore because you realize, I'm covered, okay? Now, that doesn't give us a license to sin, right? We talked about that too, right? Our obedience is how we honor God and how we thank Him. But we're not trying to gain His favor, right? We're not afraid of His judgment because we know the righteousness of Christ, has been placed on us. You don't exhaust yourself trying to gain God's favor because you realize you are his adopted child. He's the best father ever. So let me summarize. When you know God has declared you righteous, the doubts will be settled. All right, that brings us to our application today. So three Simple thoughts. Number one, 
Have high reverence for God's word. It's not going to change, y'all. Right? Heaven and earth is going to pass away. And we read about how that's going to happen. That's going to be wild. (laughs) I don't plan to be here for that. That's another story. Okay. All right. But have high reverence for God's word. Number one. Number two. Live in a way that honors God. Are you thankful for what Christ did for you? And you should live in a way that honors God. And the third thing is this. Trust God's promises. Okay. When the enemy tries to lie to you and make you doubt. Well, whose voice do you want to listen to? Do you want to listen to the enemy? Right. The enemy's not your friend. <laughs> or do you want to listen to what God has said? Let me pray for you, and then we're going to have one more song. Dear Lord, I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you your word is always true. I thank you for your promises. I thank you, dear God, we can rest in your promises. Lord, we don't have to worry because you are almighty God. And we just thank you, Lord. Help us live in your promises, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.